Did you know we're racing toward a day when all wrongs and all matters of injustice will be perfectly leveled and made right? Today on Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville, message number three in our series about the glorious second coming of Jesus. The second coming will fulfill all the matters of fairness and justice that are so deeply ingrained in us. As a researcher, I've come across rare cases where justice is meted out, but for every case that's handled fairly, it feels like there's dozens more where justice does not occur and victims suffer away in silence. Suffering, injustice, and Christianity seem to go together like a three-legged stool, but as I like to say, it's not the end of the story. We're going to learn more about the glorious day when all suffering and injustice will be made right. Here's Pastor John with part two of the message, The Comfort of Christ's Just Judgment. This retributive justice, this perfect meeting out of justice, this vindication of God's people in the face of injustice are prerogatives that belong only to God. We know this from Deuteronomy 32, verses 35 and 36, where Yahweh, the Lord himself, says of himself, listen, vengeance is mine and recompense For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Paul says Jesus is the one who can execute this vengeance and who can execute this recompense and who can vindicate his people. He's Yahweh, the Old Testament. This is God, Jesus, coming in judgment. Look at verse 9. In verse 9, Paul spells out further what the Lord's just repayment with affliction and his vengeance, his meeting out of justice entails. He says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, verse 9, those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, verse 9, these will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. This just penalty administered by Christ on all the church's enemies, Paul says, is the punishment of eternal destruction. This, this, this punishment of eternal destruction, it doesn't mean complete dissolution of existence. It, uh, the doctrine of annihilation. I love John Stott, but unfortunately at the end of his life, he taught the doctrine of annihilation. actually had a three-hour lunch with him one time to discuss this doctrine with him. Tried to change his mind, but didn't work. (laughs) But this doctrine of annihilation, when I was speaking in Dublin this uh, month ago, a lady came up to me in tears, and I said, how can I help you? And she says, I'm just struggling. I can't reconcile that God would ever eternally punish someone. And I'm struggling with this doctrine. Can you help me? The punishment of eternal destruction is not something that we take joy in, pleasure in, but it refers to the absolute loss and ruin. It refers to the eternal loss of that which is truly worthwhile and meaningful. What is worthwhile and truly meaningful? Paul tells us in our text here, it is exclusion from the glorious and majestic presence of the Lord. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says that the hope of the gospel, verse 17, is to be forever with the Lord. He says it is to share in his glory, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 12. 
The hope of the gospel is to be God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And so for Paul, the greatest punishment that a person can receive is to be cut off from this privilege forever. In other words, when Christ returns, all unbelievers will be left east of Eden. They will not, as you'll see in a moment, come into the kingdom of God, which is not only Eden restored, it is Eden glorified. These unbelievers, those who persecute and afflict God's people, will be eternally banned from the glorious presence and blessing of his kingdom. And Paul says this fate is justly meted out on those who do not know God and who do not obey through faith the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I realize that the idea of eternal punishment is a hard truth and it's an unpopular truth and you don't have to yell it and scream it like the country preachers to make the point, right? It's a biblical truth. And the apostle Paul says the Lord Jesus, when he's revealed from heaven, justly repays all evildoers with the punishment that is commensurate with their crime. He deals out perfect justice. His judgment, Paul says, is never unfair. It is never arbitrary. It is never unrestrained passion of revenge. His judgment is always in accord with his just nature. And because he is just, Paul says, he repays evildoers exactly what they deserve. And so Paul answers the objection is God is not fair. He's comforting that child's mind on the playground. None of God's enemies will receive injustice. If we cried out for justice from God, we would all receive the just condemnation that we deserve. Justice is what we deserve. And so how interesting is it that when people often ask, what would Jesus do, the terror of his final judgments never mentioned. Yet listen to the language that Paul uses here to speak of that day when the Lord Jesus, who is Yahweh, is revealed from heaven. Listen to his language. Jesus will repay with affliction. Jesus will inflict vengeance. He will mete out perfect justice. Jesus will dispense the punishment of eternal destruction. When Jesus returns as a just judge, he'll give all of the enemies of the church exactly what they deserve. He will dispense perfect justice. It won't be Justice Janine on Fox News Channel. It will be Justice Jesus, and it will be perfect. So Paul, listen carefully, he's trying to comfort those who are suffering. He's giving a reassuring word of comfort to those who are struggling with questions over the justice of God. To those who are suffering unjustly for their faith, take comfort in knowing that Jesus, the righteous judge, will bring a just retribution to those who persecute his people. And so even though the church's enemies might oppress God's people for a time, in the end, the outcome of the oppressors and the oppressed are dramatically reversed when the king is revealed from heaven. That's Paul's first point. 
But here's the second outcome of Christ's second coming. So let's get to some good news, right? <laughs> like, let's get all these black clouds now. Look at the second result of Jesus' coming. Christ's second coming results in rest for persecuted believers. It results in retribution for those who persecute, but it results in rest for the persecuted. Let's read verses 5, 7, and 10. Paul says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Verse 7. He says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, he will grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Look at verse 10. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Notice how Paul describes Christ's second coming for his people who are persecuted here. There's a great reversal, right? We go from gloom and doom to brilliant, happy sunshine forever. I like that. There's a great reversal. The world's unrighteous verdict declared against God's people is reversed in their favor when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, Paul says, in flaming fire. And so consequently, whereas the outcome for those who afflict is just retribution, the outcome for the afflicted is granted rest. I want to talk to you about that rest. Look at how Paul describes this rest for us because it is it's amazing what he says. Look at verse 5. He says that God's people will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. By kingdom of God, Paul is referring to the perfected kingdom. He's referring to that time when the Lord returns and he consummates all the promises of the gospel in perfection, glorification the consummated kingdom of God. And he says those who persecute the church will be judged as unworthy citizens of God's kingdom, but those who are persecuted will be judged by God in a righteous judgment that will be considered, that will be judged worthy of entering God's perfected kingdom. Now let's be clear about this. Paul is not saying that they are considered worthy because of their suffering. Such a notion is foreign from salvation by grace alone and Christ alone. Anyone who enters the kingdom of God enters solely on the merits of Christ's suffering. That is his righteousness. He says this clearly in Matthew 5.20 on the Sermon on the Mount. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is Paul saying? He says, you are deemed worthy because of your suffering to be considered a part of God's kingdom. What does he mean by this? Well, keep in mind Paul's pastoral concern. Remember, always remember the context. Paul's concern is to help suffering believers have a better understanding of the justice of God in relationship to the nature and purpose of their suffering. So he's trying to comfort them. And so he's comforting by assuring them that their endurance and suffering, chapter 1, verse 4, their endurance and suffering for the kingdom of God, this is evidence that you belong to the kingdom of God. 
In other words, he's assuring these young suffering believers of what will be the end result of all their endurance in the midst of all their persecutions and afflictions. When Jesus returns as the just judge, Jesus will render a righteous judgment on their behalf. They will be considered, Paul says, that word considered means judged. They will be judged worthy of the kingdom of God. What is Paul saying? This is the doctrine of vindication. Jesus, Paul says to these suffering believers, will vindicate his people. At Christ's return, the promise of Deuteronomy 32:36 will be brought to full consummation, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Perseverance, endurance in the face of suffering, Paul says, is the evidence. This is evidence. This is proof. This is fruit of faith in Christ. And the great hope that all suffering believers have who are justified freely by grace through faith in Christ alone now is that the outcome of their endurance and suffering is vindication. Now, does that not encourage you to keep going on in the midst of hardship and trouble? Knowing that the outcome is eventually vindication, not condemnation. This good news that we are justified now and shall be vindicated when Christ returns comforts us. Paul says it like this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so knowledge of this good news provides comfort in our suffering, encouragement, and motivation to continue to persevere through hard times. This is how one Bible teacher puts it. Troubles litter the pathway leading to the kingdom. But here's what I add to it. Yet at the same time, believers can look ahead to the future and not lose heart knowing that their suffering is not in vain because the troubles are the pathway that also lead to vindication. Paul reassures the Thessalonian believers, these young, newly planted believers in the faith, and he assures us that the Lord himself will reward his people with a glorious future and the consummation of his kingdom. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, Paul says that this kingdom of God will consist of rest. Look at that. Look at verse 7. He will grant relief. That word relief literally means relaxation. It's the ultimate spa treatment. Relaxation, relief from things that burden and trouble you. And in this context, it is persecutions and afflictions. When Christ returns, the good news, the hope of the gospel is that God's people will enter a kingdom which is free, Paul says, from all injustice. God is just. The righteous judgment of God, he will give perfect justice in this kingdom. It will be a kingdom Characterized by rest, which in this context means characterized by a lack of injustice, but perfect justice. 
It will be a kingdom free from oppression, free from persecution, free from affliction, free from trouble. It will be a kingdom of perfect rest. In his book, God's Big Picture, uh, Vaughn Roberts makes a great observation. He observes how throughout the course of history, uh, many have desired for a utopian society. He says the Marxists dreamed of ushering in a utopian society by abolishing capitalism and greed. Secular humanists thought that the answer was to eliminate ignorance and poverty. Revolutionaries have placed their hope in the downfall of a government. Yet all of these attempts by man at creating the perfect utopian society have all failed to produce lasting change. Since the fall of man, society, this perfect rest, has remained elusive. But in contrast to all of man's failed attempts, Paul says, on that day, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, he will usher in a kingdom of perfect rest, a home of righteousness for God's people. God's perfected kingdom will be a just society free of all injustice, persecution, and affliction. And the promise of the Lord's anointed crushing his enemies from Psalm 2-9 will be consummated where the psalmist says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, Paul says he will abolish all moral evil. He will root out every last trace of injustice and affliction there is. In Isaiah chapter 32, verse 1, Isaiah foresees a triumphant reign of Jesus, the Messiah. And he says, quote, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Jesus will bring rest to every corner of his kingdom. So a truly just society... A society which philosophers for centuries and centuries have argued over and sought for, politicians have fought for, revolutionaries have fought for, but they've all failed to produce in an instant when he is revealed, it will become a reality. And Paul says, finally, look at verse 10 on this day. Jesus would be glorified in his saints and marveled at among all who have believed. This is really the main point of verses 3 to 10, is verse 10. Look at verse 10. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe. That's really the main point Paul's getting at. This is the goal toward which the gospel and all of redemptive history is moving. And again, the Old Testament background that Paul has in mind is Jesus' fulfillment of Isaiah 2 and Isaiah chapter 66. Why is it those two chapters? It's probably in Paul's mind. Here's why. Because in those passages in Isaiah, Isaiah is portraying the Lord's future judgment on those who do not seek the glory of God but trust in idols 
in contrast to God's people who desire and seek his glory. And so in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 11 and 17, Isaiah says, In that day, on the day of the Lord, Jesus' second coming, on that day, the Lord alone will be exalted. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 10, 19, and 21, Isaiah speaks of unbelievers as hiding from, quote, the glory of his majesty. And so Paul says that those who do not obey God and obey his gospel will be hiding from the glory of his majesty. But in contrast, believers will glorify God and God will glorify himself in them because Paul says they have believed the apostles' testimony. That is the gospel concerning Jesus. So the revelation of the Lord's glory in his second coming, where it instills terror in his enemies, it provokes, Paul. look at what Paul says, it provokes marvel. It provokes adoration. God's people will marvel at the returning Lord, and he will be glorified. So those who have suffered patiently for Jesus and all who believe the gospel will gaze upon Jesus with admiring wonder and his glory will far surpass anything we could have ever imagined and leave everybody struck with wonder and joyful awe. So Christians have been on the receiving end for 20 centuries or so, right? The passing generations have all wondered Why has God allowed the wicked to get away with their oppression? But now at last, the settling of accounts will take place. Jesus, when he's returned, when he's revealed from heaven, will bring affliction to those who have troubled believers. He will pay them back, and he will pay them back in full. And believers will see an end to their trials, and they will experience a just society. And all of their suffering will be over, and they will be able to rest and be at peace. So does the Christian life seem uh, as an unequal struggle against unremitting odds, right? I bet you if you could talk to Syrian believers who are being persecuted day in and day out in Syria right now, they would say that probably feels like that. But Paul says, cheer up, because Jesus is coming to the rescue. The avenger is coming. He's coming to bring a righteous judgment, a righteous judgment of retribution to unbelievers and a righteous judgment of vindication to his people. And so as we reflect this morning on the two different outcomes of Christ's second coming, we can take comfort in knowing that all the promises of the kingdom of God, Paul says, will be fully consummated when Jesus returns. And he says, it is on this day that God's people will be united in a perfectly just society where righteousness reigns and everyone submits with joy to the righteous rule of the king. All will live in perfect rest, and Habakkuk 2.14 will find its ultimate consummation. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Why? 
because John says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel, and we thank you that uh, even though we experience injustice in this life, there is a day coming. There is a day coming when the perfect avenger, Christ himself, is revealed from heaven and will make all things right. Help us to take comfort in the hope of the gospel this morning and look by faith, since what we see by sight seems to contradict all that we say we believe about your justice. And help us to look expectantly as we endure hardships, expectantly for our Lord Jesus when he is revealed from heaven, when he will bring about just retribution and thankfully for us, a gracious vindication. And in all of this, we'll be glorified through it. Give us faith to hold on to the hope of the gospel. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Comfort of Christ's Just Judgment, Part 2. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 